Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. I'll be reading Luke 23, verses 50 through 56. And now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Father, I pray that there is none in here who does not have ears to hear this Gospel. The centerpiece of all creation, of our existence. For of first importance, Jesus was killed for our sins. And He was buried. And He rose from the dead. Oh, Father, help me unfold this text accurately according to what is written. And give us ears to see and to love that which is here. To the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. The witnesses of Jesus' deadness are laid out in all four Gospels. The crowds who were there all day watched it. Two men who were on the Council of the Seventy who sat as members of the Sanhedrin witnessed it. Women who traveled with Jesus from Galilee and His disciples witnessed not only His death, but His deadness. The death of Jesus is at the core of Christianity. If this man did not die, the meaning brain waves ceasing, for at least 40 hours, meaning his blood stopped pumping, meaning rigor mortis had begun and he's cold and getting hard. If he did not die, then he did not rise from the dead. And so Paul, over two decades later, will write to the Corinthians in chapter 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance. This is in no way secondary. 
or peripheral. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it goes. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive when I write this, though some have fallen asleep. Jesus was dead. And He was buried. He wasn't in a coma. He wasn't resuscitated. He was dead, cold, hard, and gone. And that He was dead and buried is huge to Christianity. Of first importance, that Christ died and was buried, Paul says. So let's go back now where we left off to Golgotha on that late Friday afternoon. We saw Him die over the previous weeks. He's dead. We know that Easter Sunday's coming. These people really didn't know that. There was no great hope in any of His followers on this day. There was just tragedy and confusion. And as we see in this passage, His disciples and women and some men had a deep affection and a deep love for Jesus. And one of them was named Joseph. So pick up there in Luke 23, verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision to have Jesus put to death. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph here, he appears in all four Gospels as the person responsible for the burial of Jesus. They mention his hometown, I think most likely in order to distinguish which Joseph they're talking about, of the numbers of Josephs that may have been on the Sanhedrin, the one from Arimathea. And this is the council that condemned Jesus to death and brought Him over to Pilate. Matthew tells us also that this Joseph was rich and he says he was a disciple of Jesus. And John, in his Gospel, he says it this way, quote, He was a disciple of Jesus but secretly because of fear of the Jews. 
and particularly his colleagues, leadership of the Jews. Evidently, his fear had caused him not to take a public stand for Jesus. I think he most likely wasn't informed about the late night mock trial at Caiaphas's house. Whether he was at the early morning trial over in the temple grounds or not, we just don't know for sure. If he was, he certainly didn't vote for death. But evidently he didn't stand up publicly either. But now notice how Luke describes him. The end of verse 50, he was a good and a righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. Now this language about a good and a righteous man, if you remember way back at the beginning of Luke's narrative, this is how he spoke, for instance, of John the Baptist's parents. It's how he spoke of Simeon back in chapter 2, verse 25. He wrote, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon when Jesus was a baby. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so now here, Joseph also had something stirring within him. Because the text says, he was longing for the kingdom of God that Jesus was preaching. So this day must have been a shock to Joseph. Whether he was at that early morning meeting, we don't know, or he found out later that Jesus is outside the city wall on Golgotha being crucified. We don't know, but he ends up on Golgotha watching Jesus suffer and finally die. And then he decides he will remain a secret disciple no more. So he faces his fears of what the religious hierarchy, his colleagues would think, and he goes to Pilate. Verse 52, This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Mark says it this way, He took courage and went to Pilate. That's what courage is. There's no such thing as courage without fear. He overcame the fear. He took courage and he said, I'm going to do the right thing. Joseph had everything to lose and nothing to gain. He had status. He had wealth. He had a seat on the Sanhedrin. And now, Jesus, the rabbi, he's dead. He's not just dead. He was crucified. He was executed by the state as a criminal. And now he's going to come out of the closet. No one's expecting Jesus' resurrection. But something happened to Joseph that caused him now to fear God more than to fear men. And he knows the situation. 
that if something's not done with Jesus' body, that most likely in this circumstance, He will be taken down and He will be thrown on the trash heap and burned. And so he says to himself, never mind the risk. This Jesus is a good and a righteous man and there's no time to waste. It's late afternoon. Verse 52, This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, preparing for the Sabbath, get all your work done, all your food cooked, everything so you don't do any work and any cooking on the Sabbath. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. So evidently, Joseph used his clout as a member of the Sanhedrin to gain access to Pontius Pilate, got his ear and got the permission to take custody of Jesus' body. See, normally throughout the Roman Empire, the Romans, after executing, crucifying, seditious criminals, many times they just left their bodies to hang on those pieces of wood for days as they decomposed and were eaten by birds of prey or other wild animals. But this is the land of the Jews. And Jewish law, according to Deuteronomy, dictates that dead bodies must come down from being hung on a tree so that they're not hanging on a tree during the Sabbath, which will start now within just a couple hours at sunset. In John's Gospel in chapter 19, starting with verse 31, John puts it this way, "...since it was the day of preparation..." And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. Remember, the way they stayed alive for so long on a cross was lifting themselves up with their legs and pulling with their arms and so you get air into their lungs and not suffocate, but once they break the legs, they can't do that anymore and they're going to suffocate very quickly. And die, so we need to break their legs and that they might be taken away before the Sabbath starts at sundown. And so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. Well, how in the world does he know? The next verse, he tells you how he knows. John says, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that He is telling the truth so that you also may believe He was dead. And so Mark 
In his gospel, he tells it this way. Joseph goes to Pilate, and Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And summoning the centurion in charge of the crucifixion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. So his death is confirmed by the centurion. Pilate gives the letter to Joseph. As we saw where we ended up Last time in the text, most people now are gone. They left. His mom is there. John is there. His aunt is there. A number of other women who traveled with him from Galilee over these nine months in his group, they're there. Some of the other disciples are there. And Joseph with a letter from Pilate and his servants are there, along with another member of the Sanhedrin named Nicodemus, along with his servants. We get this from another eyewitness, John, who writes in John chapter 19, Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So now, Nicodemus comes out of the closet. It seems to be clearly John's implication. He says, this is the one back in chapter 3 where he came to Jesus in the dark. He came at night asking Jesus questions and Jesus gives him some theology of new birth. He now comes along with Joseph into the light and risks everything. This amount of spices for the burial is pretty much, never happens that much unless you're royalty. They spent a lot of money on 75 pounds. Why spices? In order to kill the smell of a dead body as it goes longer being dead, the more it's going to smell. And so, there's no time to waste. Sunset is commencing. It's going to begin the Sabbath. The body's given over to Joseph. And so he, along with his servants, they get the body down from the cross. They begin to clean the body the best they can. Nicodemus, has the spices and they coat all the linen cloths and probably coating the body 
with the spices and they begin to wrap Jesus' body with the linen cloths. And this is so that when it decays, it will help with the stench of the body. Let me quote for a moment. The New Testament scholar D.A. Carson concerning this process writes in his commentary, As used by Egyptians in embalming, myrrh was a fragrant resin. The Jews turned it into powdered form and mixed it with aloes, a powder of aromatic sandalwood. The mixture provided a pleasant fragrance in a variety of circumstances. When it was used in connection with burial, its purpose was not to embalm, since the Jews did not remove internal organs and fill the space with spices as the Egyptians did, but it was there to stifle the smell of the rotting corpse. The spices were apparently laid the length of the strips of linen which were then wound around Jesus' body. More spices were laid under the body and perhaps packed around it. End quote. And then verse 53 of our text says, They laid Him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. Now Matthew tells us this was Joseph's own tomb. He had purchased this tomb, which is a member of the council and living in Jerusalem and being very wealthy. And it's right outside the city gates. Makes a lot of sense. It's in this garden area that is really close to Golgotha, to where Jesus was killed. John tells us that in his Gospel. It's a cave. It's a man-made cave dug out of the side of the hill with a bunch of tombs. They dig out make a little room in there. And with inside they would dig from the wall and so that a slab would be formed where they would put the dead body. And a lot of times these tombs, were, the bodies were, were laid and they were sealed with a big stone, rounded so they could roll it into place. And then about a year later, it's all decomposed, there's only bones left. Many times they would go take and collect the bones and go put them in a special place within that tomb and they can use the tomb for another dead body. They sealed the tomb. And Luke tells us Joseph and Nicodemus, clearly their servants, they did not act in secret. Verse 55. The women who had come with Him, Jesus, from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how His body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Sabbath started, the sun went down, and they rested according to the commandment. 
These women, they followed. They watched. Clearly, numbers of other people knew where the tomb was. They watched. We're going to see this next time, I think. When Caiaphas goes to Pilate, he knows where the tomb is, so they're, they're watching. They know where the Jesus guy is buried. They say, we need a guard over this tomb. But these ladies, some of these ladies clearly are some of the ones Luke had already mentioned in chapter 8 who traveled with Jesus' group in this itinerant preaching and teaching and healing ministry. Some of these ladies were the ones financing His ministry. Mark says this, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joses saw where He was laid. So we know two of their names. We don't know how many. Were there five? Were there fifteen women? We don't know. Matthew says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb while they are entombing Jesus. So they return back in to Jerusalem, to wherever they're staying. They bought spices, evidently, and started preparing. sun goes down and now they're waiting for the sun to come up. Not on Saturday, but on Sunday morning. So what's the point? The point is that Jesus is dead. Not only dead, to make crystal clear and sure, a spear was thrust into His side. And the way blood and water poured out that way, another sign of death. If He wasn't dead, this is going to kill Him. And then He was caked in spices and wrapped in cloth. He was carried over to the garden where the tomb was. He was put in there. The stone was rolled in front. Jesus is dead. I don't think these women or His disciples probably got any sleep that night. I remember when my dad died, my mom's doctor wrote her a prescription to sleep. And most of us took some. Or we wouldn't have slept that night. So all night on Friday and all the next day was the ceremonial rest of the Sabbath, which His disciples and these women obeyed. They are depressed. They're exhausted. Their world is just crumpled. And yet, Jesus' death will become to them the center of their life. Jesus' death is to any of us who have come to love Him the center of Christianity. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 1, we go throughout the Roman Empire bringing this good news of Jesus' 
death and resurrection. He puts it this way. People, they want all kinds of things in religion. Some want this. Some want that. Some want give us wisdom. Some we want the power. Paul says, we preach Christ before a firing squad. Christ hung on the gallows. Christ in an electric chair. Dead. But much worse the way the Romans did it because they didn't like you to die fast. They wanted suffering and torture. Christ crucified. See, to us it's like a nice little pretty cross. To, to them in the Roman Empire throughout all the cities, Rome had control. They all saw many people dying pinned with nails to pieces of wood. And Paul says, this is what we Preach. And this is what we will, as believers this morning, celebrate again with the bread and with the cup. What are we doing? Well, this is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11:26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's. Death until he comes back. And again, we read what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with what was written in the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And Paul will close out his angry letter to the Galatian churches this way, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. What's the point? That we believers are to go daily to the cross. Meaning, we go daily in prayer with the truth of Jesus' death for us. The truth that He died receiving willingly upon Himself the punishment we deserve and satisfied His Father forever on our behalf. It means going to the cross meditating that if Jesus, this man, did not actually die, then He did not die for our sins. 
And if He did not die, really? Then He did not get resurrected from being dead. Or as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then your religion, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. So this text and all four Gospels make it clear between His death and they say what happened with His burial. This is their evidence. Their proof. We're talking about a really dead human being. He was crucified, they're telling us, publicly, not in private. Crowds were there all day long. When it was time to break the legs, they came to Jesus. He was already dead. And one of the soldiers took the spear and jabbed it into his organs. The centurion confirmed it to Pontius Pilate. This man was dead. We who are believers are to take in prayer, in communion with God our Father, to take our sins to Him, to the truth of His cross daily. As the Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 4, let us then with confidence The confidence doesn't come from your sinlessness. Because even now, even if you have been miraculously raised from the dead by new birth, you are not without sin in you. You are without sin legally in God's eyes. Your confidence doesn't come from how good you were today. It comes from what we have just read. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So how is it that we daily draw near by the Spirit through Christ, I mean through His death, through the cross, an understanding of it, a meditation upon it? Why? Because it was there on the cross where He laid down His life as a substitutionary sacrifice making propitiation for our sins. It was there on the cross from noon to three where God caused darkness to come over that land. It was there on the cross where Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And it was there where He finally said, It is finished. It was that day 
while he hung there that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that the way into God's merciful presence was opened because of what was happening on that hill. It was there that our sin was dealt with and it was nailed to the cross so that the Apostle Paul could later put it this way, so that God would be satisfied in order that He will prove that He remains just and at the same time the justifier of those who believe. That He remains just in forgiving sins. He did not do this in an unjust way. He does not ever sweep sins under the rug and take His own glory lightly. It took His eternal, uncreated Son, the reflection of His eternal divine nature, God the second person, to become one of us. And thus, His stooping that low was more than satisfactory for quadzillions of years in an eternal hell. For quadzillions of people. He remains just while while justifying the ungodly like me. For those who believe, we go to the cross and we go to the burial. You ever wonder why Paul mentions the burial? I mean, isn't the death good enough? But in 1 Corinthians, he says, here's the core. You want, you, you want everything summarized in its... Like your teacher may say, I want the whole paper summarized in one sentence. Here's how Paul does it. Christ died for our sins, and then he adds, and he was buried. He was buried. Why? Because it is this full proof of a really dead Jesus. After the soldiers gave the body over to Joseph, they had to start working on it. And I'm going to tell you, it had to take at least an hour, if not two hours, by the time they get him to a tomb. If there was any life left in him, it would have shown itself. He's dead He's in the tomb. And we'll see next time. Roman guards for the Sanhedrin, they had control of them, guarded the tomb. Jesus has become, and He is and will forever be, a human being. He did not just appear to be human, but was like God in a box. God inside of a human body. Like that. 
No, 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 no. He had a genuine human soul, human nature, and he does to this day. He did not appear to be human, but was in fact man. And he really died. That's why the early teaching within the late first century of the church the early teaching that started filtering through the church with this Greek mindset that we call docetism, coming from the Greek word meaning to seem. In other words, Jesus just, He seemed human, like an angel could appear and seem human, but it's really not physical. Jesus was never really physical because the Greeks know the spiritual is what is pure. Anything that's physical is by itself tainted with evil and God would never become one in any way with that which is physical. So Jesus appeared and walked, etc., but was not really... Man, we know from what we have been reading, that teaching is blatantly unchristian, un Biblical And in dealing with that teaching, the New Testament letter of 1 John says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, every preacher, every teacher who comes around, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they're from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world. He's a real man who happens to be God. And he really died. And we are to go to the cross daily. It is there where we're open with our sinfulness and we are joyful with our salvation. And it is there at the cross on a daily basis where we are reminded of what came next. So if you have your Bible open, just, just, we're almost done here. Just, if you have your Bible open, just look what comes next. I'm going to read it. First one of chapter 24 of Luke. But on the first day of the week, At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that had been prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, 
they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them a fairy tale, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. And so whether it's 25 years later or 2,000, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Everything in all of the Bible, in all of the New Testament, and the Old Testament, about the death of Jesus and what it accomplished where He was suffered for the sins of others. Everything about this real historical death of Jesus from Nazareth hangs on the truthfulness of His resurrection. It is the foundation of Christianity. So Paul will write, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith, professing Christian, is in vain. And not only that, we are found to be misrepresenting God because We testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it's true that the dead are not raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But He was raised. And this is the message of Christianity. This is the message that the apostles took to the world. This is the message that Paul preached everywhere. And I'm just going to close with one of the end of one of his sermons as he goes to Athens, Greece. The philosophers, they love new things. He stands up and he proclaims the message. And he ends it this way. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He had appointed. And of this, 
He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. As the music plays and the cup and the bread are passed out, if you're a baptized believer, feel free to take and we're going to hold them and pray over them together. We're going to go to the cross of Jesus together rejoicing that He has purchased for Himself a bride and He will come again one day. Father, oh, if any in here are asleep to this truth, if any in here are hardened to this truth, would You do the miracle that You have done in others of us and open their eyes to see the beauty and the truth and the glory of Your salvation in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.